We have these islands uh, also off the coast of both, you know, in the Pacific and the Atlantic that are the size of Texas filled with pieces of plastic, and we're finding plastics in the Marianas Trench in the deepest part of the ocean. But, but what should be more scary is that we're finding microplastics in tremendously high amounts and millions of particles in water supply rivers and streams, and some of them were above, not, not quite that high, but fairly high in the particles are found above water supply intakes. You know, people want to be green and they want to do better, but unfortunately, people want to have their life easy. They want it functional. It's important for us to get close to those functionality of the end product that we're doing to the consumer. We don't think biopolymers will ever take over the world, but we certainly think we're a big piece of that puzzle. Welcome to our podcast about biotechnology breakthroughs, the DNA of all living things, and the DNA of scientists, companies, and patients who make miracles happen. I'm Jim Greenwood, and you're listening to I Am Bio. Plastics. Before the pandemic, we were really starting to get somewhere. The public had been educated and activated. Images of littered oceanways and animals tragically mistaking plastic items for food had been seared into our minds. That YouTube video of the sea turtle with the plastic straw up its nose had saddened and shocked us. Movement began. We demanded change. And when that happens in the body politic and we actually vote with our ballots and consumer dollars to achieve it, change is what we have a chance to get. Before COVID, we the people started demanding that our local and state governments ban single-use plastics, and many did just that. Before COVID, a growing number of major retailers were banning plastic straws as part of their commitment to go green. And before COVID, millions of Americans had switched to reusable shopping totes at the market. But then, in the panicked uncertainty of how germs were spread as COVID-filled hospital ICUs, the backsliding on plastics began. Today, we're going to talk about why we, the people, must demand that it stops. For one, scientists are finding microplastics in human drinking water and in human cells. This stuff is carcinogenic. We don't have to lose the fight against plastics to win the war against COVID. Once again, biotechnology has the answer. It's a green biopolymer material that looks and feels exactly like plastic, but is marine biodegradable, meaning it dissolves in ocean water. The material is called PHA. The technology is mature and the future is here. And the greater the consumer demand and scale for this product, the cheaper it will become, to the betterment of consumers, the planet, and every living creature on Earth. Our first guest today is the president of the New Jersey chapter of the Sierra Club, Jeff Tittle, who's been working to ensure that we look out for human health and environmental health during the pandemic. So, Jeff, welcome to I Am Bio. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. One of the things we've really focused on here at I Am Bio is this notion of one health, the idea that human health and animal health and environmental health are really inextricably linked. 
So can you talk a little bit about how this pandemic has exposed those connections in maybe some more obvious ways? Well, I think it's, you know, ripped apart a lot of the notions that people have that there isn't a connection. You know, there's a connection between the loss of uh, forests in China and the uh, industrialization and the pollution from it and the need for food that may have led to eating bats or other exotic species that caused the coronavirus to, um, you know, mutate into humans. And also how it's spread, not only in Europe, but in the United States, where there's a direct connection between communities uh, that are overburdened with pollution, that have a disproportionate share of um, of air pollution in particular, uh, as well as uh, you know health conditions such as asthma and respiratory illnesses that it seems to target. And so it's all interrelated that we really are you know, uh, one people, one planet and one environment. And, uh, and, and because of the abuses that we see with pollution and greenhouse gases, with destruction of forests, with uh, uh, environmental justice areas just getting you know, beat upon with uh, pollution, it all kind of comes together, unfortunately, to create a, re- a recipe for a catastrophe, both uh, environmentally and uh, economically for our country and for the planet. If there is a silver lining in this terrible tragedy, and it's really hard to really even think about a silver lining when so many people are, are dying and sick, but it is that there's it's forced us to really take a look at how we're living. It's grounded airplanes, it's temporarily stopped or slowed polluting factories. So I have to ask you, what, what kind of evidence is the Sierra Club seeing that carbon emissions contributing to climate change have slowed during this crisis? Well, it's not just carbon emissions, and we've seen at least a third to 40% drop in the United States, and especially here in the Northeast in New Jersey, but we're also seeing a similar reductions in nitrous oxide, uh, which leads to ground level ozone. We're also seeing less water pollution as well, um, because of cutback in commercial office spaces and shopping and factories as well. Um, and so we're seeing actually less water pollution as well as a lot less air pollution and carbon impacts. And we're also seeing some other pauses where People are enjoying nature more and hiking with their families and getting outside. And and so I guess, I don't know if I call it a silver lining, but at least, you know, it shows that if we put in place policies to reduce traffic and air pollution, you know, we can actually have a healthier planet. So an, an optimist would say, you know, when you see these pictures of the remarkable changes in the pollution in places like Beijing and people be able to see the top of Mount Everest that couldn't see it, you know, ever before. Um, so the optimist might say, see, look, we can do it. We can, we can dramatically change the amount of pollution we're putting into the environment in a variety of, from a variety of sources. The pessimist might say, yeah, but look, it had to shut down the whole world economy uh, to do it. So, you know, how, how do you interpret this? Well, I think they're both right, but the point to the pessimist, and, and I've always been, you know, is a glass half empty or left full. And I always said, well, you have to see what's in it if you want to drink it. Um, in this case, it shows us the, the template for reopening, that we can have a green reopening, that what we see in this and what is, are communities and people coming together who want change. We see people, you know, protesting on the streets against racism and environmental racism is part of that. And so what we see in the moving forward is that People can drive less. They can 
ride bikes and walk more. Uh, we can move to uh, more energy efficient homes and buildings. We can move to 100% renewable uh, in our energy sector and and move to you know also for electrifying our transportation sector in our port in our ports. And so what we're calling for is a green reopening. The Sierra Club is calling for a $7 trillion investment nationally in manufacturing and supply chain um, around the environment and green buildings and uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency and green transportation and expanding mass transit. Well, then, and as I say, as bad as this pandemic is, it pales in comparison to where we're headed with climate change. So this is, a, this is a wake-up moment for us. And on the flip side, though, there, there's really some regression on the progress we were making on specifically reducing our use of plastics. Uh, consumers are a little bit wary about using reusable shopping bags for fear they've been contaminated with the coronavirus. And the plastics industry has seized on this fear to try to lift bans on single-use plastics that have been passed in some jurisdictions. Why is this the wrong answer? Well, I think I'll quote Dick Cheney here that no crisis should be unexploited. And what we see here very clearly by the plastic industry, the petrochemical industry, and some in the food business uh, as an excuse to um, try to wipe away years of progress in banning plastic bags and using um, you know, re, re, uh, renewable type containers that are made out of wood and uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know paper, uh, and go back to plastic. Uh, what we're seeing, and what we've been asking stores to do, because we've have uh, over sixty communities in New Jersey that have banned thin film uh, plastic bags, is to allow people to then pack their own um, reusable bags versus having this people in the store do it if they're concerned about it. Some other stores in New Jersey have reverted to giving paper instead. Uh, but, but I think that it's really well overblown by the industry to try to undermine things, and it's not based on any scientific facts. It's just a typical fear-mongering that they do. Uh, to try to weaken environmental protections. Like they said, if we took lead out of gasoline, cars wouldn't run. When it comes to the coronavirus, dumping more plastic waste into our rivers and streams and into our landfills only hurts the environment long-term and adds to also more greenhouse gases from the production of plastics. The New England Journal of Medicine published a study suggesting that the Plastics Association doesn't even have its facts straight, that plastic grocery bags are safer than reusable bags. So what 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 did that study conclude? Well, it concluded that you know the that the virus can live on plastics for three days. Um, you know that to me shows that it's worse than paper or cloth or uh, or you know anything else. So it's the games that they play where they try to manipulate science. I mean, I put it right up there with you know Exxon, you know, for decades saying there was no climate impacts. Well, their own scientists knew there were. And the. Tobacco companies used to tell you that tell us that uh, cigarettes didn't cause cancer too. Yeah, I actually have an ad uh, that I saved about a surgeon saying uh, surgeons need steady nerves. That's why he smokes Camel and filters. Yeah, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when the movie The Graduate came out, and uh, at his graduation uh, party, the the Dustin Hoffman character is. Uh, pulled aside by one of his father's friends and he whispers in his ear plastics you know that that's the future and even then we knew it was it was not the future but um, I don't think most Americans really appreciate how ubiquitous plastic is in our world 
you know, you go to the supermarket and let's say you get something like a ready to eat dinner and a cup of coffee. So the carton that holds the food is plastic. The film that covers the carton is plastic. The shopping bag you can carry out your purchase in is plastic. And even paper cups are coated in a thin layer of protective plastic. Plastics are really a double whammy environmentally because, as you say, they pollute our oceans and forests, and they're made using petrochemicals that warm our planet. So can you quantify the environmental harm caused by plastics? Well, it's from, it's the entire supply chain. So, you know, from fracking um, and the methane that's released from doing that, the, the, the toxic chemicals that are pumped into the ground to fracture the rock to cause a gas to be released to the environmental damage from methane leaks from pipelines and the pollution from pipelines cutting through environmentally sensitive areas to the manufacturer and the pollution that comes from that, which is substantial with a lot of uh, volatile organic chemicals and others that are carcinogenic, um, to getting in your food itself from being, you know, especially when it's liquids and they get warm, that there's leaching of the chemicals, acrylonitrates and other things into the into the food itself. And then in the disposal where it ends up uh, clogging storm drains and causing flooding or filling up landfills or breaks down into micro particles. You know, we have these islands uh, also off the coast of both, you know, in the Pacific and the Atlantic that are the size of Texas filled with pieces of plastic. And we're finding plastics in the Marianas Trench in the deepest part of the ocean. But, but what should be more scary is that we're finding microplastics in tremendously high amounts and millions of particles in water supply rivers in New Jersey. Rutgers University did a study and showed six million parts per liter um, of microparticles in some of our rivers and streams. Uh, and particles are found above water supply intakes uh, on the Raritan Passaic River. And what's scary is that the filters in the water plants cannot filter out those microplastic particles. So they're getting in us. And so we're finding um, small bits of plastic within our, the human body and the chemicals within our bloodstream and even being stored in our fat cells. So plastic is a scourge from, you know, cradle to grave, but unfortunately it could kill people. And uh, because again, a lot of those chemicals are carcinogenic. So it's from the top of Mount Everest to, you know, to basically your, you know, your local uh, fast food place, plastics are a scourge that destroy the environment and, you know, end up littering our beaches and clogging storm drains on top of getting into our food supply. It's a bleak picture. The Sierra Club's been fighting the plastic industry tooth and nail. So Who's winning this fight? Well, we've been winning, um, as I, you know, as you see around the country. So many states that have banned plastic bags and styrofoam containers. Um, so we are, we've been winning. But unfortunately, right now, the industry is using the um, pandemic as an excuse to try to push back and to delay progress and even try to roll it back. I saw that in, even in, in California, where they had stopped the use of reusable bags, they're now going to allow them again. You know, so we have to keep fighting and pushing. We're at that point now in history where we have to go forward. We can't go back. And, and I see that especially in young people, but also the, how the young people are educating their parents as well and their friends and are so active. Um, and I think that's the optimism that I have. I come from a family of activists. My grandmother and my grandparents were active and my grandmother was active in the women's movement and knew Margaret Sanger. My grandfather was active in the trade union movement. My parents were active in the civil rights and anti-war movement. I was active in the anti-war movement, the environmental movement. And my granddaughter led her second grade 
in a mark in a walkout on the climate strike. She's eight years old. So I see this continuing and actually getting stronger and bigger. Uh, and I think that's the hope that I have for the future. Well, God bless you. I, my uh, younger daughter is about six months pregnant now, and uh, I think we granddads are going to join together with the millennials and the and the next generation. And I think we will. I think the, the I think the body politic of America and the body politic of the world really is ready for a major uh, environmental. Uh, movement, a, a political and, and environmental movement, uh, not only to fight the kinds of pollutions we've been talking about, but climate change as well. So keep it up, Grandpa, and uh, t- together we'll, we'll, uh, we will save this world. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the time and uh, the, the, doing this podcast. If it does get flushed into that waterway and does go out to the ocean, it will go away within six months. So we prevent that straw from staying out there for five or 10 or 30 years. So our next guest, Scott Tootin, has been with Danimer Scientific from the very beginning, working on biopolymers as a sustainable plastic alternative for nearly 15 years. Scott, welcome to I Am Bio. Thanks, Jim. Proud to be here. Well, before we get into the science, let's talk a little bit about what Scott, you started doing this work. I know you've, you've been involved with Danimer since its founding almost 15 years ago. How'd you get into this? Someone asked uh, early on with Danimer if I wanted to come join the company. So when I looked up what the company was doing and what they were about, a light switch to kind of went off going, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Being outdoors and doing the things that I grew up enjoying from fishing and hunting and hiking I knew this was my place. So one of my great passions is uh, photographing birds. I go all over the world to take pictures of birds. I'm on the board of the National Audubon Society. And, you know, we've seen that something like 90% of seabirds now have plastic in their guts. And one of the things I learned a long time ago, there's this this bird called the Laysan albatross. It's um, one of the few birds that actually use their sense of smell, their olfactory sense to find food and they'll go off from their nests on islands and they'll skim just above the water uh, sniffing for fish eggs. And uh, historically those fish eggs have been attached to things like uh, seaweed floating on the ocean surface. But nowadays fish eggs are attached to plastic objects like toothbrushes and pens and bottle caps. And so they skim the ocean for thousands of miles, scooping up the stuff. Then they go back to their nests and they regurgitate all everything that's in their gullet into the mouths of the of their young, and then the young birds are found dead with plastic wedged in their guts. And, and on top of that, a million marine animals die every year due to ocean plastics. So, living in the Southwest Georgia, what are the, some of the things you've witnessed that have motivated you to get plastics out of the ecosystem? You know, even in you know Southwest Georgia, as you guys can understand pretty rural area but even that with that we have some beautiful river streams and beautiful lakes and you really cannot go a few yards without finding a bottle a bag a cap just tremendous amount of trash 10 years ago jim uh, we're two hours from the gulf beautiful area beautiful beaches and i remember my son jack he was probably two years old and he was sitting playing in the sand. We were all family out and looked over. He's chewing on 
you know, who knew we didn't know exactly what it was and went over to him. And it was an old bottle cap. You know, it, the, the cat was probably 10 or 15 years old, deep down in the sand. So just like the birds you mentioned, our kids were doing this too and what we're doing to the families and our generation. So that was really a, a good validation to what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. Yeah, amen. And that bottle cap probably be there for another 15 Absolutely. years or, you know, or, or, or longer. So let's start with the basics. What's the difference between yeah. a, tr- a truly renewable plastic and one that just breaks down into microplastics. Some consider bioplastic because they're renewable content. They might be made from corn or, or canola oil or bacteria or different mechanisms. But at the end of the day, they break down through hydrolysis, which is that heat and moisture in a compost pile that breaks that long chain down for the microbes to eat it. So all biodegradable products are not not created equal, right? Um, most no, biodegradable yep. products, including traditional biopolymers, they have to be put, yep. taken to a compost pile. The traditional biopolymers that's been here for 15 years, great material. Wonderful step change into the plastic industry. But as you stated, Jim, we have to collect it. So now we start getting into trusting that people of the world are going to do the right thing. And that's a, that's a tricky thing as you <laughs> can understand. So that's one polymer with our polymer. It doesn't have to be collected. Some of these biopolymers can be composted in your backyard, which is a big step change to the next generation of biopolymers. If somebody throws it out the window at the side of the road, I'm guessing it'll eventually decompose, but it'll be a a really long time. Is that right? Depends on what it is. All plastics in the world are degradable, even the traditional plastics, but it's a time period. So the polypropylene or the, uh, the cup you might have, it will go away, but it could be 50 years or 500 years. So it's a a sense of time. So if you put a PHA product out the window by accident, we wouldn't condone that. That would break down pretty fast because the microbes, and they would consume that PHA as a food source. Now, some biopolymers, it would take a little longer because they would need time to break some of those molecular chains down a little bit. So what's the the plant base that you use, the renewable plant base that you use? Well, it's a uh, feedstock that we use is canola oil. So we actually ferment bacteria. So what actually makes the PHA is the microorganism, the bacteria. But they have to eat something. So we feed them grapeseed oil or canola oil. And so that is the feedstock. Now, we do not have to use canola oil. Any vegetable-type oil works fine, but we chose canola oil because it's abundant. It's, it's a fair-priced material. It's not all used for food uses. There's a lot of canola oil used for industrial uses. So you, it's a better fit for what we're doing with our bacteria to make PHA. And Danimer is really the first to go to market with this new polymer that's that, that's marine biodegradable in like three to six months. Is that right? Absolutely. So we, are, we developed our uh, product over the last 10 years. And we have built a facility in Winchester, Kentucky. And it, we launched the uh, the commercial PHA this year, first quarter of this year. So we're pretty excited about that. So, and what's, how do you define uh, marine biodegradable? So PHA in general 
it is consumed by microbes and that's how it degrades. So there are microbes all over the world, including in marine waters. So if you have an article that accidentally gets flushed out of the river systems into the oceans, that's how most of the plastics gets into our oceans, to our river systems, then the microbes in the ocean will eventually consume the PHA package as a food source. So that's really what it is. When we ferment this bacteria, we extract the PHA from the bacteria because it is their food source. So when you make an article with it and it goes into a ditch or your backyard or accidentally gets into the ocean, it goes away in a pretty quick time period. So it's not there in five and 10 and 20 years for that bird to, to eat or the turtle. So that's what the key is. So it's just not there anymore. Before the pandemic, there were some really encouraging signs that consumers and companies were beginning to see plastics in the oceans as a major problem, which they are. Uh, more yep. people were um, using reusable shopping totes and more governments were issuing bans on single-use plastics. But now in the COVID era, families are nervous about going to the marketplace and um, some disinfect their groceries when they get home. Moms want to toss their bags after they unpack in case there are germs. And we've seen states suspend their bans on single-use plastics. So how is, how is your company, how is Danimer stepping up to meet this challenge? Well, it's an interesting uh, question, an interesting dynamic that I don't think any of us saw coming. We're going to put a lot more plastics into single-use uh, food packaging because people do not want to potentially get infected with a virus. The good news is that we have a solution for it. So let's talk about plastic straws. As we discussed with the albatrosses, they can be deadly to birds and they can be deadly to sea turtles because the turtles think they're food, they swallow them, and then they can choke to death. Now, restaurants have been moving away from straws in favor of lids with drinking holes. That's that's okay. But COVID presents challenges here because in, people are eating at outdoor patios that are opening up now, and they want to sip on their beverage without removing their masks. So some say this is a good reason to bring back plastic straws. But uh, Danimer's recently launched a different kind of straw. So what's the story here? I agree with you. I think straws are coming back to some degree. Uh, the world's changed greatly in the last month or two, or even the last four or five months. Uh, so with that being said, straws are not the best thing for the environment. I think we all realize that. Our PHA straw will help with that straw fight, meaning that if it does get flushed into that waterway and does go out to the ocean, it will go away within six months. So we prevent that straw from staying out there for five or 10 or 30 years from my kid putting it in his mouth or that bird trying to eat it as a food source. So we can help with that straw battle. Cool, because the, the some people don't like the, the paper straws. They get soggy and you can kind of taste the paper <laughs> yeah. in your mouth, you know. I think you have maybe a minute or two and they're, they're not very good. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the best of both worlds, right? You have the clean taste in your mouth from a plastic straw, but that's it's right. biodegradable. Yeah. That's so wh right. where can right. where where can people get these marine biodegradable straws? Walmart's probably the biggest one that they put in place here a few months ago. So they're under the great value brand at Walmart. You can get them on a shelf. And then they have another brand called LifeMade brand that is in the Walmart stores currently. Now, there will be many, many more coming out shortly here, even within the next month. It's really their very first ever commercial marine degradable 
straw on the market. So, so I watched the video on your website and the PHA raw materials coming off the assembly line. They look like those dipping Dots pellets that you can get at an amusement park. Uh, you add a little heat and injection molding, and those dipping Dots can take many shapes and sizes and be used in all sorts of creative ways. So what other ways are you going to use them? Nestle, for example, we have a really big partnership with Nestle. Those guys are coming out with a, a marine degradable water bottle, which would be the first of its kind. Uh, Frito-Lay and PepsiCo will be launching a marine degradable chip bag. So we've been working with the PepsiCo team for almost 10 years, probably, Jim. So it's been a long development. After 10 years of work, you'll see some chip bags coming across the U.S. and probably in the European markets with a marine degradable bag. Along with that, you see some single-use coffee pods. As you can imagine, there's a lot of heat with that, you know, the, the single-use coffee pod. You eat one cup and you throw it away. So you see some things coming from Danimer and our team with coffee pods and then takeout trays. As we talked about straws earlier in the pandemic and people picking up food now, uh, takeout trays, we call them the clamshell containers to the hinge they close. We're doing a lot of work with our partners, such as Genpack from the big leading uh, converters and brand owners that control the trade market. So we're excited to uh, help in many areas. Well, I think it's going to be highly competitive. Green cells, right? And, and just like, right. uh, you know, you put organic uh, on stuff in a grocery store and people, you know, are willing to pay more for it. Um, I agree. You know, I think people always want to uh, be as environmentally sensitive as possible. So if you see a, I know if I saw a, a label on a container anywhere that says this is biodegradable, well, you know, that, that's going to get grabbed up. And so it's good business for anybody who wants to get into it. It's not rocket science. I think in general, people realize we have to do better, Jim. We cannot continue going down the path and what this earth and this world can withstand. Do we have 50 years or a thousand years? There's some point where we can't turn it back. When is that? Nobody knows. That's the question. Things are changing rapidly in the last year or two that, yes, we can do better. Even the big big guys, the Pepsi and the Nestle, they see it and they're doing wonderful things that there are solutions to this problem and they're taking the step to do it. So that's, uh, and the consumers are too. They're demanding it. And when you demand it, uh, things change. That's terrific. So, you know, we at uh, Bio have, have always said that what our ambition is, is to heal, fuel, and feed the world. And we also talk about the environmental benefits of biotechnology. And here's a perfect example where you guys at Danimer have really done your homework, stuck with it for a long time. And here you're coming up with some really amazing biotech solutions to you know, really, really tough environmental problems of, of all of this disposed uh, plastic waste that just uh, despoils the environment and the rivers and the oceans. So hats off to you guys. I know I'll be looking for your products when I'm in the grocery store or anywhere else I can find them. Well, thanks, Jim. We do appreciate your time and, uh, and talking with us today. All right. Go get them. Well, that's all for today. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Or even better, if you learned something useful today, please share a link to the I Am Biopod with your family and friends. To learn more about the work of heroes and sheroes in lab coats, please visit iambio.org. On the next episode, we're going to take a closer look at the secondary infections that account for one in every 14 COVID cases in our hospitals. 
Antibiotic resistance was a big problem even before the pandemic, but the coronavirus adds a new layer of urgency. We're going to learn about the efforts of biotech companies, large and small, to bring innovative antibiotics to market, and what policymakers can do to support this effort during the crisis. That's next Monday on I Am Bio. Thank you.